final Pac-12 football season has been nothing short of interesting. On this episode of Gridiron Gold, I'm here with Jacob Willoughby, Chloe Norseth, and Keaton Campbell. We are discussing our top predictions for the NFL draft, some standout players that we have all enjoyed watching this year, and possible predictions for the Pac-12 championship. One of the key people that makes Gridiron Gold possible is Chloe Norseth. Chloe spoke with local sports reporter and radio journalist Bill Riley on his opinions of what football will look like in the next five years, NIL, NFL draft picks, and the final Pac-12 football season. As of 2024, college football has a completely new look. The divisions of football have been completely changed. With the disbandment of the Pac-12, USC, and UCLA joining the Big Ten, and the University of Utah, University of Arizona, and Arizona State will be joining the Big 12. These changes have impacts on the AP poll and the road to the championship game. Bill Riley has been working with ESPN 700 since 2004. He works closely with the University of Utah and the Pac-12 and has some insight about the change and the future of college football. Well, it's, well, there's not going to be a conference around anymore. At least we don't think so. So instead of power five, it now becomes power four. So really it's not going to impact it in a big way because those teams, Oregon, Washington, USC, UCLA, Utah, they're just being distributed to other conferences. What they'll do though, is make those other conferences, the four power conferences moving forward, a lot more difficult. So the Big Ten was already tough. Now you're adding USC, UCLA, Oregon, and Washington. The Big 12 wasn't great, but now you're plugging Utah in, who's been a perennial power. So that's going to up, kind of up the stakes in the Big 12 a little bit. With changes to the initial conferences, the original bowl games, and playoff games, there will be a new look as to how they will be structured in the future. Well, bowls have already become a little irrelevant because of the playoff. Um, and now when you're expanding the playoff to 12 teams instead of just the four teams, it will be good for some bowl games because you're going to incorporate some of the bowl games that like say the Cotton Bowl or the Fiesta Bowl are now going to become part of the playoff. But now if you're a, a lesser bowl game like the Independence Bowl or the Poolland Weed Eater Bowl or some of these lesser bowls who have already become a little less relevant, they're now going to become even more irrelevant than they have been because the distance between them and the games that matter has now grown greater. The Rose Bowl, also known as the granddaddy of them all, is a game that features the winners of the Pac-12 championship and the Big Ten championship. Now, with the disbandment of the Pac-12, this bowl game will have new changes and rules of who will be participating in the bowl game in the future. The Rose Bowl is no longer the Rose Bowl as we know it. It's now going to be basically a permanent playoff game. So the old days of the Big Ten and the Pac-10 or Pac-12 playing in the Rose Bowl, they are no more. Well, one, because the Pac-12 doesn't exist moving forward. But the Rose Bowl, because of its status as the granddaddy of them all, will always be a playoff game. Whether it's an early round playoff game or a semifinal playoff game or the championship game, the Rose Bowl and all those years of tradition with the Big Ten and the Pac-12, it's now gone, even starting this year. It's part of the the playoff this year. So whoever wins the Pac-12 in the final year, whoever wins the Big Ten in the final year, they're going to go to a nice bowl game, but it won't be the Rose Bowl. Looking at the Pac-12 season this far, 
we have some very competitive teams. Washington is undefeated. Oregon only has one loss, and Utah still isn't completely out of it. Fans and experts, like Bill, can't say for certain who will be in Vegas this year. But there have been a few rumors of who might be playing on the turf at Allegiant Stadium on December 1st. Well, Washington for sure, mm-hmm. because they beat Oregon a week ago, and they're undefeated in Pac-12 action. Um, Oregon certainly, because they didn't lose by much, and it was at Washington. Um, Oregon State's sneaky. They've only lost once this year, and it was a road game at Washington State, and they beat Utah. Mm-hmm. And they don't have to play. I think they get to skip USC this year. So that's that's an advantage for them. Utah's still got a shot. and. Um, I, I'm not going to count out USC either. If USC bound, they don't have any losses in the Pac-12. Mm-hmm. Their only loss was at, in a non-conference game to Notre Dame. So I think there's five teams that can win the league. Utah, Washington, Washington State, Oregon, and Oregon State. Without fans, the game of football wouldn't be around. Eddie Smith has been a member of the Must Board for four years. She is an avid fan and has a lot of insight on football. Man, so yeah, I've been following the team since I've you know, pretty much been alive. And like, I think it's been great. Like I've seen us come up through the PAC 12 and like now that that era is ending, I feel like the team and the program itself is in a really interesting spot as we join the big 12 next year. So I think this last ride with the PAC 12, at least for the team, it's kind of really made us motivated to three P and want to leave the conference as champions as we have been the past years. So I think while Cam has been injured, like our starting quarterback, I would have really have loved him to have started the season since he's really been the leader of this team. Like, I still think there's a possibility he plays on Saturday, and we'll see. But overall, I feel like the defense that Coach Witt has built through the years and, like, our kind of core values of, like, physicality, playing tough, like, really, and also our home crowd. Like, we've, we've won, I don't even know how many games in a row is it now, but it's past three seasons we haven't lost at home. Utah is 7-2. and two. Utah isn't out of the running for the Pac-12 championship game yet. I'm still picking Utah, despite our conference loss. I think we win it. I think we win it. Call me delusional, but it's like, you know, we didn't win the last two years by accident. So I think Utah's being disrespected, and I really like our odds. Like, we put ourselves in a tough spot with that Oregon State loss, but I just think this team is totally different with Cam at quarterback. And also, those other teams have to go through the gauntlet too, right? Because if USC loses, Washington loses, Oregon loses, you know, if Pac-12 football is anything, it's unpredictable. It's hard to give real, true predictions. Games can change in a matter of seconds. It's too early to say who will be in the running for the championship game as of now. There are many different opinions and takes on what the future of college football could look like. Another one of our hosts, Keaton Campbell, sits down with local journalist Brian Brown to discuss his opinion on what the possibilities of college football could look like. This is Keaton Campbell, and we're interviewing Brian Brown. Um, So, Brian, uh, what do you do for work? Uh, I am a freelance journalist, meaning that I don't technically have a job and I work for zero money. Uh, No, I, for the last five years, have been covering various levels of athletics here in the state of Utah, from uh, football uh, to high school athletics. I do uh, broadcasts on KSL Plus, their streaming app, 
uh, for high school football and lacrosse. Uh, I've written for 24-7 sports, ESPN, done radio. So I've, I've done just about everything. That's awesome. Have you enjoyed working in media? I have. It's been a lifelong dream of mine. And so the opportunity to fulfill that uh, has been a great experience. It, it does not come without a, a cost and a lot of sacrifice. Uh, I did mention that the pay is not always great. It's long hours and a lot of time away from family and friends. But uh, for someone who loves athletics and loves sports, there's no better way to live out your dreams uh, than doing what I get to do. It's kind of a similar question, but what's your favorite part of working in media? I think there's a lot of parts. So it's actually a really great question because for some people it's about the creativity behind production, right? Or organizing an article for some people, it's the interview stuff. Uh, for me, it's the relationships. And as someone who's been an athlete for most of my life, I love being around athletes. I know how great sports can be uh, when used in, in in the proper, proper way and, and helping people channel their, their good traits and develop those kinds of things. And so, I especially love being around younger athletes that are are still growing and developing and learning because uh, there's a lot of lessons that I feel like I have to share that maybe can help them. Um, but also when you're uh, young, you don't understand always how to tell your story or what might stand out to other people. And so being an asset in helping others to tell their story, especially with the number of platforms that there are th these days, uh, that's something that actually brings a lot of joy to me. I guess you've kind of, you kind of touched on a little bit, but what's like the hardest part, I guess, of working on it, working in the media? Getting into it is really the hardest part. I think it's a job where, and, and you work, you know, in a job in facilities where there's only so many spots and you really have to sacrifice. If there's a game on a Saturday, you can't call in sick to your boss, right? You can't yeah. say, oh, I just need the day off today for, uh, you know, mental health reasons or anything like that. And so you really do have to push through and and make dedicate yourself to that and it can be a really long journey and it requires a lot of grit and toughness because there's a lot of people out there that want to do what you do but don't necessarily aren't doing it for whatever reason right but they feel empowered to talk about what you're doing and share their opinion of your work and so you have to have a really thick skin and you have to be very dedicated to it and have to have a lot of grit and toughness and and just you know for for something that if you don't truly love it, there's not a lot of reward to it, right? Like, you know, everybody can look at Holly Rowe, for example, and be like, wow, she's you know, famous and, and works for ESPN and for the jazz and has all these you know, great jobs. And it's taken her a long time to get there. And once Holly Rowe has that job, everybody else is out of luck. So it can be a lot of patience. It can take require a lot of grind. Like I said, hard work, you know, requires a lot of grit and toughness. Um, so it's just, there, there are trade-offs. You know, I think anytime you really love something, uh, especially with me and, and sports, where it's something that I've been a part of my entire life, and, and you have people who maybe don't have a resume like that, that feel like their opinion matters to you or should matter to you, uh, it requires a lot of emotional intelligence. You mentioned that you, like, cover different, like, um, areas of, like, football. Like, what's it different covering, like, high school football to, like, maybe college football? Yeah, one of the biggest difference, I think, is access, right? In college football, everything's much more organized. And, and so you'll have, after practice, you'll have five minutes where you can talk with a player, but it's in a giant uh, scrum, right? Or uh, there will be days where we're waiting around for an hour or two on end to talk to Coach Whittingham or something like that at the University of Utah. And you only get that small snippet of access. 
high school level coaches love to see you. They're happy to talk to you. So I think that's a big, big difference. I think the other thing too is after a few seasons at the university of Utah, guys are a little more seasoned in their interviews. When you're talking to high school players, maybe it's the first time they've ever done an interview. And so they'll be nervous and have to kind of help them through that and, and help them relax. But um, you know, it is, I think college athletics, there's a lot more exposure in terms of people who want to consume your product, but also in terms of people who have an opinion uh, talking about what it is that you're, that you're, you know, producing. Uh, I started out as a writer and for a while there, everything I wrote was very personal and to see people just gloss over things or, or strip through my articles and just kind of rip them and shred them apart was, was hard to deal with initially because to me, that was my art. Um, yeah. Then you start to understand that really it doesn't matter what people are saying, that they just want to be a part of the conversation. Um, and there's a lot more of that in college than there is in high school. Uh, I think at high school, it's, it's a different market you're catering to. It's a lot of parents. It's a lot of grandparents. It's a lot of people that just want to see their player or their team or their community be recognized. And they're just thrilled. They're so excited about that part of it, but they don't really care if it's a great article or not. And so, uh, you know, that's, that's not to discount my abilities or, or my skill set as, as a writer or a podcaster or a broadcaster or any of those kinds of things. It's just uh, you feel much more like you're fulfilling an important need at the high school level, at the college level. And you know this from working on the inside. There's so many resources within not only the athletic department, but the football team itself to where they can broadcast and share messages. And so you kind of feel like a bit player as a, as a beat reporter or, or someone who covers the team. And, and in high school, it's you're driving a lot of the conversation. Definitely. Oh, oh what podcasts have you been a part of? Uh, I've been a part of a few different uh, podcasts started. I was the found one of the co-founders for the Utah block cast um, university of Utah football specific podcast. Uh, I started, I guess, restarted the Locked On Utes podcast, which is part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It was a podcast network founded by David Locke, the play-by-play broadcaster of the Utah Jazz. He sold it for millions of dollars or sold half of it for millions of dollars a few years ago. And it's one of the larger podcast networks in the country. Um, I have a couple personal podcasts. Uh, I do one called Football Breakdowns, where I just kind of talk about whatever related to football. Uh, I also have a personal pod that's more pop culture called the beehive boys so dabbled in a lot of different podcast stuff i helped start a podcast called social hall sports um uh, and i think that's it i won't count any of the radio stuff i ever did that's awesome sweet so um a little transition a little bit um talking about the um this like specific episode we were doing we we're talking about um like the mid-season of college football and stuff and you know you love football and stuff so we're kind of what are your thoughts on the college football season so far i think it's been great uh especially if you're a pac-12 fan there's been a lot of exposure for that conference a lot of positive promotion it's a shame that this is supposed to be the last year of it but um i think it's great when college football is competitive and when there's not a clear front runner to be a national champion i think you get a lot of different uh parts of the country that are involved and i think that's really good for 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 the sport as a whole and if you look at the television numbers they're all up and and the pac-12 is a big part of that and so as someone who's worked a lot in the pac-12 footprint i think that's great and uh 
you know, I, I also think that the play has been phenomenal and Utah alone has been uh, just an absolute juggernaut in terms of being able to fight through and overcome adversity. And I think that's always uh, a great, great asset in the sport is having a story to tell and being able to tell it, um, you know, with the tenets of your program. And uh, I think, you know, it's been fascinating to watch Colorado, right? A, a upstart team that's gotten a lot of attention and, and they've been through some bumps and bruises and you see how really hard it is to win football games and, and Colorado started off with a bang and, and now they're really starting to have to work through a lot of, of things that, that I don't know that they necessarily expected or if, if those who tuned in to watch because of Deion Sanders necessarily expected. And so anytime you get those kinds of storylines, I'm always excited by it. And then of course there's just the zaniness of college football that comes in week to week where random things happen. And then Iowa never scores points, but is still, you know, only has two losses on the season. So uh, Mm -hmm. it's, it's a, it's a, when you get into the almost the pop culture version of college football, where it's not so much about the X's and O's, I think that's even more fun for me. And, and, you know, I've seen a lot of Big Red, the mascot for Western Kentucky this year. So that also really makes me happy because he's my favorite mascot. And uh, even Big that. Red has like a wild origin story, too. So it's part of why I love the sport. Did you see those helmets? I did. Yeah. The fact that they have a Big Red offensive line logo, maybe one of my favorite things that I've ever seen. So yeah, <laughs> if I can get that on a T-shirt, take my money. <laughs> that, that's so cool. Yeah. I kind of what you're saying, like, um, Joel Klatt, I really like him. And he was, he's talked on his podcast this year that like one of the first years that like, there's a lot of parody in college football, like for one of the fir- first times. And it's like a bummer that we don't have the expanded playoff this year. Cause it really would have been the year for it. I feel like. It does really lay the groundwork for it going forward and why it is important. And I, there's a book called death to the BCS. That's now very dated because we haven't been around you know, BCS era conversations for a long time, but the original death to the BCS plan was for 16 teams in a playoff. And you'll get close to that, I think, with conference championship games and whatnot. But uh, the expanded playoff was always going to be a great idea. And and this season, I think, is proving it even more because, unfortunately, you're going to see four teams. Two of them are likely going to be Georgia and Michigan. And who knows if they're going to be any good. Uh you know, but the other two are probably going to be Ohio State and Alabama. And and I don't think to anybody that's super interesting after everything that happens this year. So you think Alabama is going to be in it? No. With, I, 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 I will be fascinated to see what happens. But uh, Alabama with one loss, I think, is, is going to be as much a contender as anybody. So I think the, the big question is going to be what happens in that SEC championship game, right? Yeah, they beat Georgia, and Georgia only has one loss, and Alabama has one loss, but they're conference champion. You didn't tell me that neither of those teams are getting in the playoff. Yeah, I mean that was my next question: is who you think is going to be in the college football playoff? I guess you got to ask. I, I think it's going to be interesting because it, Georgia's schedule is just—it's uh, terrible. Um, you know, I was going to say it was dog doo doo, but that may be a little bit too uh, too punny with them being the Bulldogs, but. Um, you know, I think I think Michigan looks like a team that, despite all the swirlings and, and rumblings around signal stealing, and um, you know, I don't. For me, that's not a big deal. I don't know about you and and others in the media. It seems like it is kind of a quite a fiasco. Uh, I actually think that it's what what khakis is Jim Harbaugh wearing is a bigger story, but that's just me. Um, 
I think Georgia probably will make it. Uh, I think they do beat Alabama in the conference championship game, which would give Alabama two losses. So I don't think that they would make it in there. I think, uh, you know, Texas is, is on their way. And if they can meet up with Oklahoma again and beat Oklahoma, I think that gives them a pretty good path with one loss. I think Michigan likely finishes with zero losses. I think they're going to beat Ohio State again this year. But, um, you know, I think that fourth team is is kind of the mystery team. And, and if you're a Pac-12 fan or a fan of a Pac-12 team, why not Utah? Yes, definitely. That's true. We're all Utah fans, so we would love that. Well, thank you so much, Brian. That's all my questions, and I really appreciate you letting me interview you. Pleasure is all mine, man. I love, love the opportunity to talk about something that I've, I've really loved doing for a long time. And, you know, if there's ever anything I can do to help somebody who's coming up in the biz, man, I'm, I'm all about it. Unfortunately, the Pac-12 is in its final season. College football as we know it is over. We're in the unpredictable, murky waters of super conferences and possibilities that are endless. Once again, I'm here with Chloe Norseth, Jacob Willoughby, Keaton Campbell, and this is Gridiron Gold. So my Pac-12 playoff prediction is that Oregon and UW are going to the championship. They're both standout teams this year. I haven't seen Washington. We kind of slipped through the cracks and surpassed Washington last year to get to the Pac-12 championship. And I think Washington has had the redemption for themselves and they're going to kill it this year. Possibly they're in the final four for the playoffs, which is ridiculous. Um, What are you guys' thoughts and predictions on that? Yeah, so uh, personally, I think that Washington is going to the playoff. Uh, I predicted that since before the season started. Uh, I love their quarterback, Penix. He was my preseason pick to win the Heisman. I think that's going to happen too. Uh, I know some people have been critical of the latter half of the season with Washington, but I think that it speaks a lot when they consistently find a way to win in close games. If you look at historically teams that win the college football championship, they're not always dominating teams by 50, 60 points. They just find a way to win. And I see a lot of those traits in this really tight-knit older Washington team that I think will lead them to the playoff and could even lead them to the national championship. What do you guys think? I definitely agree. Um, I am kind of like for Oregon all the way. I do agree. I think Washington, you're right. He, they, you made a really good point there. I was originally wanting to argue that I don't think Washington is as good as a, as a team as Oregon, but you make a good point saying, you know, that they have found ways to win. And I've, you know, I look a lot at scores. I don't necessarily look as much at the game themselves. And I look at scores like ASU and low scoring game. They were down. Ended up coming back in the fourth quarter, but like you said, you know, I mean, it doesn't matter until the end of the very, at very end of the game, at the end of the buzzer when, you know, you're up there winning. So I think that that's a really good point. Um, I do like Oregon uh, going for Pac-12 championship as well. I, you know, looking at the team as a whole, I think they're a great offensive team, great defensive team, and just overall watching them play, I think they look like a real professional team. And I think Washington also is up there as well. Um, Looking at them, I think that they have a little bit, maybe a few more weaknesses here and there on their offense and defensive areas, but I don't know. I think that's kind of what I'm looking at too. Um, I think I'd slightly favor Oregon in a neutral field for the Pac-12 championship, but I think it's going to be a close game no matter what. I think just Oregon is a little bit more balanced of a team right now. I think Washington has shown that there's a gap in their defense, but I think I think either way, I think 
either one team will represent the Pac-12 really well in the in the college football playoff. I think we're probably going to get a team in this year, and it's been a while, so I'm excited. I guess as Utah fans, we kind of got to pick our poison yeah. on who we want to win the Pac-12 championship. On that note, you know, there's been quite a few standout players in this final Pac-12 season. Um, specifically, I want to talk about Sione Vaki on the University of Utah football team, who has created quite a name for himself as both a defensive and offensive player. And also the only other player in the country who's really doing this is Travis Hunter over at Colorado, you know, who's killing it also as a defensive and offensive player. What has it been like for you guys to kind of watch and follow them this season? I've loved watching Sione Vaki play. I honestly hadn't really heard of him before this year and then coming up and I was like, wow, like he's a great player. And I think it's been fun watching him play offense. He really stepped up in um, that SC game. And I just think watching him play is so much fun. I honestly MVP for the Utah yeah. football team, 100% yeah. of the way. So he's been a really key player for Utah this year. Absolutely. And, you know, stepping up, filling those gaps for I mean, we've had so many injured players this year. And I think he's really stepped up to meet that. So that's awesome. Yeah, I totally agree. And you mentioned Travis Hunter, uh, who is you have to talk about when you're talking about the best players in the Pac 12. Right. Um, he's just had an unprecedented amount of production on both sides of the ball. Absolutely. And I cannot wait to see what he does next year when Colorado fills in some of those gaps on their roster. I mean, that offensive line is so hard to watch. <laughs> Shadour's running for his life. The receivers right. can't even get the ball. It's it's kind of a mess right now. But I think over the next couple of years, when Colorado keeps recruiting and recruiting, Travis Hunter is a name that we're going to hear every yeah. single Saturday, and we're going to hear on Sundays for sure. And we're going to be playing Colorado for the next few years too. So we're not going anywhere. Sione's staying, Travis is staying. This weekend. Exciting. Oh, yeah, this weekend. (laughs) Coming to Rice Cycles, baby. I, I just think it's fun to see these 2A players kind of come back into college football because, like, his coach, Deion Sanders, kind of made that popular a long time ago, and it's just fun to see those 2A players kind of coming back, and it's really fun. I think it's really inspiring to watch these players be able to shift from position to position and kill it both ways. That's something super unique and fun to watch. Um, And I'm excited to see how the Pac-12 championship plays out and if any of these players and teams can carry on to the championship. But always, go Utes, obviously. (laughs) Go Utes. (laughs) We bleed red over here, ladies and gentlemen.